Welcome, Feminerds. I'm Becca. I'm Lee. And I'm Misty. And we are here to record an episode of BoobTube Babble. And today we are going to be talking about the Umbrella Academy, the Netflix show. Yay. Woohoo. So, um, just to start, I'm going to give a quick summary of uh, the show and how it starts, and then we'll talk a little bit about the story as it's presented in the show. So, the show does take place in 2019, I think. They talk about 2019. Um, and so, in, in the story about roughly 30 years ago, um, 43 children were born in seemingly random locations around the world to women who had shown no previous signs of pregnancy. Um, the ones who survived were abandoned or put up for adoption, and they were adopted by a man called Sir Reginald Hargreaves, AKA the Monocle, who is a scientist and entrepreneur and space alien. Uh, he found seven of these children and raised them, um, discovering their supernatural powers and training them. When he was asked why he had adopted them, he replied, why to save the world, of course, to which the world replied, from what? So the show here starts um, as the children have grown up. The monocle has died, prompting the Umbrella Academy to unite for the funeral. Uh, so then we kind of get started into the story and start to get to know who these people are and what their deal is. I suppose it would be safe to say that this is a spoilery discussion. Yes. So that if you mm -hmm. haven't seen the show or read the graphic novel on which it is based, turn back now. You have been warned. Okay, now it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> we, we gave you that time. So um, the, the show is 10 hour long episodes. I myself, I watched the show. I did it. Good for I you. But I have not read the graphic novel. Is there, how many volumes of the uh, graphic novel are there? There are three volumes. Um, the show, we'll talk a little bit uh, later about how the comic uh, is, relates to the show, but the show kind of incorporates most of volume one and a little bit of some things that happen in volume two, mm -hmm. weirdly, in a way that I don't think quite works, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, so I know for me, in watching the first few episodes, um, rather than really allowing us to interpret the family dynamics on our own through their interactions and dealing with kind of other things going on, we instead get a really slow study of like each person's relationship to each other and to Dr. Hargreaves and um, Pogo. And I the know- chimpanzee butler who speaks. Yeah. Um, and I felt like it felt very self-indulgent. I feel like there were a lot of really, a lot of shots of like people looking sad, like wandering around this big empty house. And I was like, not really invested in what was going on with them. Yeah, for, for me, uh, Becca, you and I talked about this when we reviewed on Unlike Any Known Colors, that I believe that art is a minor miracle, excuse me, and I will not be one to like crap on things, but this is really, 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 really difficult in ways that I think mm, misrepresents trauma or makes it something that is supposed to look cool on a TV show. In fact, when I was reading Twitter while completing the show, uh, they saw some ads come up for the Umbrella Academy and the tagline with, with periods is super dysfunctional family, just to give you a sense of what they're aiming for. So we're looking at this as not necessarily a supernatural story, but this how this family deals with all this trauma. And it's complicated because they have these powers. Right. I think um, for me, one of the difficulties in watching it was I wasn't really sure what the story was supposed to be. Um, you know, it was supposed to be about this uh, family and their dysfunction and their trauma, um, but it felt very disjointed 
and like I said, very drawn out and it never really kind of explored those themes in a satisfactory way, in my opinion. If it was supposed to be about how they dealt with that with their powers, it never really got to a place where we really kind of understood their powers or their own relationship with their powers outside of Vanya's story. Um, if it was supposed to be a murder mystery, it wasn't. Not for because like it, one episode. Yeah, started with this, you know, with Hargreaves dying and then Luther thought that somebody killed him and and then that was that whole thing, but it didn't really get anywhere. Um, and so it didn't really, for me, have a very cohesive theme. Um, so it was very hard for me to get into it because I really wasn't sure how I was supposed to be relating to it and how I was supposed to be interpreting it. I found it kind of difficult to sympathize with the characters too. Like Vanya, I, f- I feel like was probably the most uh, sympathetic Played character. By Ellen Page. Yes, love Ellen Page. Yeah, she's great. Um, in that way, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Watchmen where, you know, you're not necessarily supposed to like any of these characters. That could have maybe been the point. Um, but at the same time, there's got to be something <laughs> that would make you invested in the characters. Right. And I think that if that was the case, if we weren't really supposed to engage with these characters, I think it would have been presented very differently. Mm-hmm. Like we wouldn't have allowed to have these like moments where we saw um, Diego. I have a hard time thinking of them in their like quote unquote real names because in the comic they are almost always addressed in their code names. Mm-hmm. So Diego, the Kraken, we have this scene of him uh, with a stutter and like how Grace, the android mom that was created by Dr. Hargreaves to presumably control Vanya but her kind of mothering him and helping him get through that. And then he murders her. (laughs) And then in the next episode, his ex is also murdered. And I was like, how am I supposed to feel about this? Like, am I supposed to feel sad that like you are choosing to do this? And then also sad that this person that you presumably loved died because you're kind of a jerk. And so I think Mm -hmm. if we weren't supposed to, be invested in what they were doing, they would have approached those sort of things differently. And that's why I feel like I really had a really hard time trying to figure that out. Yeah. I think on all, on many levels, the show aims at certain things and misses the mark. Mm -hmm. And um, as I said, I can't speak to the graphic novel. There's so many things that I saw represented in the show that I've seen in other places. So it was hard for me to want to, invest any time in the graphic novels like if this is what the graphic novel is like now let me backtrack that by saying i would gladly like give my left leg and only watch this show if it meant like there was no hallmark channel ever right (laughs) just because i wasn't crazy about this show doesn't mean like i'm not grateful it exists that we can talk about it because this is like nine million times better than this is us which i think was kind of going for the same type of idea let's drop in on the the trauma of these families to investigate i mean why don't they just talk to each other everybody lies to each other the end of the show it was like well maybe you know we can solve the end of the world how about stop being so awful to each other how about stop lying how about that you don't need to time travel you don't need to figure all that so it was it felt kind of dirty and by that i mean is you know we're Puriently looking into these traumas, which are mirrored in people all around us, real people. And, you know, the soundtrack is bombastic and it's played for laughs. And it just felt kind of distasteful. It was, yeah. it was trying really hard to be cool. And that costed its heart to me. That's a really good point because mm-hmm. I think the show focuses a lot on Vanya and her particular trauma in that she was constantly told she was ordinary she wasn't special she wasn't like the other children um which we later learn in the show was specifically she was specifically manipulated to think that and so when she meets leonard who i'm going to call leonard because i could never really 
think of him as Harold Jenkins, yeah, which that's what she always called him too. So right, I think um, that makes sense. You know, their relationship starts out, you know, quite sweet. You know that he is um, manipulating her in a specific way, but he's also telling her the things that she's been needing to hear her whole life. That she is special. That she is unique. Um, that she has this power that she can control. Um, and so... He was letting her out of the so-called prison cell, but into the prison yard, basically. Yeah, and and by the end, when she becomes the white violin, that never feels quite justified. Like, it never really feels like she's actually addressing her trauma. Um, and, of course, nobody addresses their trauma in a healthy way in this show. That's part of the point. She's just avenging it. Right, but it also never gets to the point where I'm like, you know, she kills Leonard. Um, and I think that was supposed to feel satisfying. Again, I was just kind of like, yeah, he deserved it. <laughs> he was... A terrible person um, but then I couldn't quite understand after she destroyed the Academy why then she continued to go to the orchestra like it didn't really feel like it felt like the natural stopping point for her would to be like this is the house I grew up in that caused all this trauma I'm gonna destroy it and and destroy my relationship with this family and that's it but then there was like this whole other piece that didn't really feel like it it made sense it, i guess maybe that was she had all those personal disappointments which she avenged and she had continual professional disappointments she was always like third chair violin the first chair was disrespectful to her so was everyone else apparently so then she was going now she's the solo star she's the first chair this is her big show so now she's going to avenge herself professionally i guess I yeah, guess. Sure. That's a that's a good way to think about it. Um, but going back to that idea of the these things that you've seen before, I felt the script was very cliched. There I there were almost in almost every episode there were several times where someone said something and in my head I knew exactly what the response was gonna be and that's what it was. And so I didn't really feel like there was a lot that was unique about it. Um, you know, I don't ever want to admit that I saw Suicide Squad, but I did. <laughs> it well, was terrible. Yeah. But it had that same idea of when um, Hazel and Cha-Cha are fighting in the um, B&B at the end, and it's the Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows song. I was like, "Is this, a, this isn't unique. Like This has been done many many times before it's not fun and we'll talk about hazel and cha-cha here in a bit because i didn't quite enjoy that whole thing as well um but yeah there wasn't really anything about it that stood out to me as special the first note that i made was it looks like punk wes anderson's x-men preacher babies <laughs> it was so derivative <laughs> Of everything that I'd seen. And so, and Leah and I were talking about that. Oh, you know, she's like, God, that, they took that from Legion. And I was like, this, I couldn't. And then she actually, she she gave me the first volume to page through. It was like, this looks nothing like the television mm -hmm. show, but it looks like Preacher. It looks like Suicide Squad. It looks like Watchmen. It even looks like, you know, some of the Zack Snyder films. It looks like a lot of different things. And none of it really resonated. So no. that's why they had <clears throat> such a great potential that, that I, maybe that's why I'm so angry because I wanted to like it. And I, I think really I would like, like it. it too. And I've liked all these other elements really when they're in a different like soup, it. <laughs> but it just didn't work here. It really, really was so Royal Tenenbaums. It wasn't, it was, yeah. Um, there are so many parts of it that I'm like, oh my God, that's almost exactly the same plot except in a superhero version. So, Do you know anything about the directors or the writers? I didn't, I didn't really look I didn't up look. what they might have done before or how what their relationship was to the source material. So I I was too angry. I yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So well, that that might be something to explore too to see what their influences were and what sort of things they've worked on before because that might uh, give at least it might not make us feel better, but it might give us some insight into um, what was going on. But going back to Hazel and Cha Cha. Um, 
I felt like that whole storyline, the fact that they had their own storyline, didn't really make any sense to me. Um, it, it felt was, superfluous. And with it, the uh, their operative, the who, handler, Kate, Kate Walsh, which yeah, great. She does rise so well that arch wryness, and I liked that idea. You know, pneumatic tubes. God, I love that stuff. Like. But what was it about? Why did they care? I mean, I guess they were holding back details because it's a big get for maybe season two, but at the expense of, well, I don't really understand why this is important or who they are. I I wanted to like, I mean, it's Mary J. Blige and Cameron Britton. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> Great actors. I mean, Mary J. Blige, Academy Award nominee, Cameron Britton was so good in Manhunter as the serial killer, Ed Kemper. So Great. And still flat. Yeah, um, Esty and I were talking about that. Uh, we felt it very much felt like Preacher, uh, the two angels from Preacher. That um, I don't watch that show. <laughs> it's well, it's like Umbrella Academy, but much better. Yeah, so, sorry, rude, but it's but that's true. It's yeah. it's that same kind of feel of like these two outer world um characters coming to hunt down the main characters and they have a briefcase Mm -hmm. and they have a repartee i mean what did i say to leah said oh i like this the first time i saw it when it was called preacher right (laughs) um so monica just um gave to me some information about the this just writer the the creator of this particular show jeremy slater um known for Fantastic Four. Uh, Which one? The bad one. The 2015. Well, well actually, well. yeah. There, is there a good one? <laughs> Not yet. Um, the Exorcist. What, the TV show? Uh, yes. Um, the Lazarus Effect. Oh. Death Note. Ah. So. Not great. I, yeah. Uh. I, can, I, I now can see the aesthetic. <laughs> I understand the aesthetic, but uh, and yeah. They had a director for every two episodes. A director, so oh, there's no. no. So there's a lot of inconsistency. Yeah, there's no overarching vision. Um, it's like the L word, <laughs> <laughs> only as superheroes. Um, yeah, and I think too when you read the comic, um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but Hazel and Cha-Cha have a very strong presence. Um, but what makes them so effective in my opinion is you don't know who they are. They are wearing their masks the whole time. So you never see their faces. Um, they have a really kind of interesting dynamic and then they die. And so they're like this really strong presence because they show up and they are trying to find number five and, um, they kidnap Seance and kidnap Agnes, the waitress from the the coffee donuts. shop, donut shop. Um, and then they die. And and it feels like to give them this whole other storyline, it felt like they were making them fan favorites. Like it was, there was a contrivance to like make them something that people are going to want to cosplay. Oh, for sure. Because <laughs> the ad, when you pull it up on Netflix on the app, it's the two masks. They're, Hazel and Chacha's two masks so clearly they're going for that iconography yeah and it just didn't really fit in with the greater story whatever that was supposed to be and that looked a lot like a lot of people didn't like it they had some problems but a Zack Snyder's sucker punch oh uh, yeah yeah I had I a lot of that a- aesthetic from that so when I first saw those I was like oh everything that I saw was calling me back to something else but it didn't borrow its strengths Yeah, um, I did want to bring up um, something that felt very uncomfortable to me. Um, Usually, I really appreciate diversity in casting. Um, I really appreciate when they kind of take something that originally was created with primarily white characters and and cast um, people of color in those roles. But if you don't think about the implications of how those characters are portrayed or what happens to them, um, it can be very uh, distasteful is a good word that you brought up, SD. Um, For example, the detective, Patch, not in the comic. Um, There's two detectives in the comic. One is named Lupo. He's human. The other is a chimp named Body. Um, so they created a, a new, this new character and made her a woman of color and then murdered her. 
mm-hmm. to further the storyline of a man who... The death of a woman, again, provides the impetus for a man. Yeah, for mm-hmm. a man who I don't care about anyway, because <laughs> um, Kraken slash Diego was a jerk, and I didn't care uh, anything about him. Um, Allison, um, I thought that actress did a really great job, um, but it was very disturbing to see a white woman violently silence a black woman. Mm-hmm. And so for nobody to like think about that imagery, especially in today's climate with white feminism being so problematic, that was really hard to stomach. And then Cha-Cha, like Hazel got this whole like romantic storyline, which I mean, they all died in the end anyway, presumably um, in this, this timeline. But um, Hazel had this whole romantic storyline and Cha-Cha was kind of violently attacked many times. We thought she died. And then she came back only to, again, give a moment of redemption for Kraken, who decided to not kill her. Like, cool. And so it was really hard to see these women of color be put in these positions of such trauma and and so that are so damaging. Um, and it felt like somebody did not think that through. Yeah, I also want to mention Ben. Yes. Um, he was Asian character, and um, he was the first one to die and is just the ghost that helps um, seance in some ways. <laughs> so, yeah. Or Klaus. Klaus, that yeah. Too, that was the I thought, didn't I, read the comic. Yeah, I was like, oh, here's some Asian representation for a character that does nothing yeah. for most of the show, and then at the very end has a, I wrote down ghost ex machina. <laughs> because that's pretty much what happened. But um, we don't really even get a sense of his relationship with Klaus. And so it never really felt like, oh, they were so close that that's why he's always around. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was hard, again, to see some more representation. But then those specific characters have all of these terrible things. I also tend to dislike when the gay character is the... uh, the drug addict. Oh, Beck and I were texting about that. Yeah, so um, actually that's a good um, segue into talking about um, the characters as individuals. Um, So I think we can kind of go through in order of their lineup, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one... imposed order from Sir Reginald. Right, and in the comic, again, they're almost always exclusively referred to by their code names, um, but... And Allison is really the only one that calls them by their, again, real names. We don't know. They were probably given those names. I think they said the mom gave them those names. So um, number one is Space Boy and or Luther. Luther. And I have very little to say about him because he was very boring. <laughs> he has a gorilla body. Yeah, that's, that's about it. And well, you he know. He spent some time on the moon. Clearly, he had gone on a mission that went very poorly. So Sir Reginald gave him some sort of serum that turned his body into an ape body. And when he accidentally loses his shirt in one of the episodes, um, you know, his his siblings are lo- looking at him in amazement and horror and disgust. And it's like, you, you got flipping Pogo the chimp as your butler. Right. Man. Why yeah. is it so? I mean, I was just all those little touches so infuriating. Yeah, they would be positioned to be the least offended, the least amazed by this transformation, and to accept it. And it turned into another fifteen minutes. I'm like, maybe if the episodes were forty-five minutes, a half an hour. Or maybe it's just six episodes, like yeah, one for each kind hours. of issue from the. I also um, really disliked his bodysuit. It just looked so fake through the whole thing. I'm like, why couldn't we have just gotten an actor who's like a bodybuilder and then like built off of that so there's actual muscle? Like you could tell he's a regular size skinny guy in a bodysuit. It's not like this character needed a lot of acting chops. Yeah, exactly. And so it just I just felt like they could have they could have cast somebody who was a larger person. Um, so they didn't have to put such girth on him that looked, I mean, you could even tell every time he turned his neck that the, the neck prosthetic kept moving and it just looked terrible. Well, then you wouldn't have the, the money part where later in episode eight or something that Luther and Allison clearly are sweet on each other and have been for a long time. 
they have some sort of dance sequence Ugh. that um, for the first time made me mute it actually to mute <laughs> the television while I'm like furiously scanning through Twitter for anything to make me less angry. Go to Twitter to get less angry. That's that's how bonkers. So I think maybe, you know, yeah. So he he also is like most of the Academy guilty of making decisions that have catastrophic consequences and he makes them more for selfish reasons, I think, than strategic reasons. So, you know, the, the Academy is a failure in a lot of different ways because he taught them some stuff, but certainly not tactics, it would appear. How to behave rationally in the face of your own emotions. And Luther is supposed to be, he's number one for a reason. He's supposed to be the leader. And I think we don't really get a sense of that at all. Um, you know, Again, we'll get more into this when we talk about the comic, but um, that's kind of one of the first things that, that everybody talks about when they get all back together. They're like, oh, you're trying to be the leader again. But Very I never resentful. saw that from him, and I never felt like he ever had a strong enough personality to be And we had 10 hours. We had 10 hours for you to do, like, one little vignette, one flashback to show... Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and actually, um, going into number two, who is the Kraken or Diego, um, I think one thing the show actually did do well is um, it showed us that that Diego and Luther are actually a lot more alike than they would ever admit. Um, because Diego is so obsessed with the work, with like being a superhero. Um, that More of he, vigilante kind yeah, of superhero, yeah, whereas he, Luther's like a Superman kind of guy. Right. He wants to help people. You know, he had this relationship with this detective. Um, and so they both, I think, are supposed to feel very strongly about their roles and their responsibilities as people with powers. Um, but for Luther, it just never, I just never felt like he cared like he's, I think there were a lot of times where he like demonstrated something that was supposed to indicate that he cared, but I just never really felt like it came off. So Diego is kind of the like typical brooding, like I'm married to my work kind of thing. And then I didn't also really understand why he killed Grace, the android mom, unless... Nope, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Just to backtrack to your point about Luther too, that he doesn't seem to be very effective. He was the last one in the house. Everyone else got out. Everyone else broke free somehow, but he couldn't do that. He seems the least effective out of all of those. And right. yeah, I never understood. I mean, confession: I wasn't paying attention all of the time, but I did not understand why Diego felt like he had to boot down mom. I think it was supposed to be that they thought that she either killed Dr. Hargreaves or allowed him to die, but there was like no justification to. I, I thought he was concealing something. It was on guilt. That's the way it, it struck me. Yeah. But, I, right, well, because then he did have the monocle, right? And so Luther uh -huh. thought that he had killed him, but then he didn't. I think they were afraid that her software was malfunctioning because that was before Pogo admitted that he was the one that messed with her software. Oh, because she's supposed to be, a, she's supposed, she was programmed <laughs> that was, to... That was like episode like two. She was programmed to protect them and to heal them. So right. um, if she didn't protect uh, the father oh, or right. heal him, you know, why? That was her main purpose. Uh, so she was supposed to be the caretaker and she didn't do that. So they thought her software had maybe deteriorated and that they couldn't trust her anymore. That's another, that actually brings up another really interesting point about this idea of um, their connection and their relationship. Because I think, again, if we weren't supposed to have that connection to her, they wouldn't have called her mom. Mm -hmm. I think that the fact that especially Diego had this really close relationship with her um, and they all called her mom and not by like just grace like the, she's just this android like no she was like their mother when they were growing up and so then to kind of have this very casual 
booting down and like not wanting to get further into it doesn't really make a lot of sense for me. But um, so number three is the rumor, which I think is a great code name, mm-hmm. um, but nobody ever calls her that. Um, but who is that? Because that's that not is in the Allison. show. Okay. So the Allison is the um, the one who her power is. She can say, "I heard a rumor," and then make somebody do whatever she says for the rest of that sentence. Um, I think also she could be a really interesting character. I liked that actress, um, but we don't ever really get to see her as an individual. We kind of just see her like, oh, she used her power to become famous. She used her power to um, keep her relationship and to make her daughter behave kind of a thing. Yeah, the flashbacks, she was recalling all the times she had used that and it really was distasteful because she had not achieved her personal or professional success on its own merits. She did not have her relationship with her husband, a strange husband, Patrick, on its own merits. She could not raise her child without abusing that child by using that weapon because she didn't know how to calm the child down. So it was, you know, you have sympathy for these people up to a point and then you see how she used that. And I was like... Right, how yeah, you perpetuate a, yeah. the abuse that you yourself experienced. Right. Her relationship with Luther felt shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and a little icky too when you're raised yeah, as siblings. yeah. Um, and then also every time that she tried to connect to Vanya and try to convince her that she loved her and like wanted her back in the family, it never felt sincere. I was like, where is this coming from? Because now you've seen her after many years, like it never really felt like it was going to actually change anything. It felt always transactional. That right. Allison was going to get something out of it, either to be right or to make Vanya do something or not do something. Yeah. So she, of course, is the one who sort of saves Vanya at the end, or at least stops the, saves her brothers, I guess. Um, but without killing Vanya. Without killing Vanya. Um, and I just, yeah, it. I feel like all of these pieces are just never coalesced. And so I want kind of more out of these snippets. Although this is going to make me, this is going to contradict what I just said, because one of the things I really like about the comic is it really only gives you these little snippets, but we learn so much about their dynamic in the comic without having to spend all this time like making these like impassioned phone calls of like, oh, I just want you to be happy and I love you. Can't you come back? It just didn't feel right. I've never, I've never had a conversation like that in my life. I, I mean, my mom, bless her, loves Hallmark Channel. Watched a lot of those Christmas movies. It's, just, it's the same thing. It, you know, it's, it seems like the best use of this kind of science fiction fantasy medium is to explore these relationships in a deeper and a new way or a different way. And this didn't do that. It just, you know, one guy's still the drug addict. One guy's still the asshole. One, you know, she's a stuck up. You know, and one person's the crazy one. It wasn't really anything different. Uh-huh. And it felt, it felt like they were taking it really easy. Yeah, and um, so let's talk about number four, who is Seance, uh, Klaus. Um, could be a really great character. Um, and had my flashes, favorite character in the comic, um, drowning in cliches. Yes. Here's our queer character mm-hmm. who's a total fuck up, who's always high and drunk to keep the demons at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so over the top and inconsistent. Um, he had this whole other storyline that him going back in time to Vietnam um, is part of what happens in volume two of the comic. Um, Could have been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Didn't really ever coalesce into anything interesting because again, it was just another excuse for him to find a way to not have to think about it. Um, And uh, part of it too is that 
we have 10 hours. <laughs> Why didn't we get to know a little bit more about Dave? We understand. And also, it felt a little cheap that Vietnam is such a, you know, an easy trick to express emotional instability in men. That, and I, th- I think that's gross, too. Mm-hmm. There's lots of other things. He could have gone anywhere. Why does it have to be Vietnam? Because it's easy. Because we can just see that it's Vietnam and they can play like some the doors and we'll know immediately what's going on. But that was one thing that kind of did touch me was his relationship with Dave. And then when he goes back, he goes to the VFW. And it's through that experience, it seems for him to transition away from just, you know, the self-negation through drugs and alcohol to actually wanting to do something different. So I had a lot of problems with Klaus, but he was one of the ones I felt had the most promise too, but he was drowned in those cliches. Yeah, I I think he definitely has one of the more interesting powers for sure um, that weren't really, again, consistent in this because towards the end it was like there was this idea that he had to be sober in order to really use them, but then there were all those scenes of him like being haunted by those creepy ghost faces and so I never really quite understood like well if you're sober does that happen all the time or like when is Ben around and there wasn't really an inconsistency in when Ben was yeah around as a ghost so Just when it was convenient for the story right right <laughs> so um yeah I think Klaus is definitely one of the more interesting characters um and I wanted it to be a lot more grounded and a lot more um, nuanced than it than it was. He had the only line that actually made me laugh out loud in ten hours. It's in the end when they're at the bowling alley, and those agents come in and they're shooting it up, and he says, "Maybe they're here for Kenny's birthday party." <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was good. And I think the actor um, Robert Sheehan, I yeah. think his name. Um, I had seen him in Misfits, which I only watched. I think the first two seasons of. I wasn't crazy about that show, but he's a good actor. I just think this falls into that trope again of of these kind of meaty characters where an actor's like, oh, I get to play a drug addict that's queer yeah. and like has all this is you know being haunted by ghosts, but then you don't really think about the implications of that and how that how that what that means for for real people i was disappointed too because i've seen this actor the first time i ever saw him was in a film series called the red riding trilogy Hmm. it's based off a fiction series it takes place in north england in the 60s and 70s and 80s it's one of the most devastating things i've ever seen it's about a ring of child murder that happens in the in the north of england and he is somebody that survives that abuse and he's one of the only characters that's present in three movies and again he plays somebody that's experienced significant trauma is a queer person and also has issues with drugs and alcohol and he's just beautiful and devastating in that so I was already ready to like I know he can do this and then they saddled him with all this awful weird suicide squad stuff that was really disappointing so I definitely recommend Red Riding Trilogy if you're a fan of Robert Sheehan thank you um, so let's talk about number five um, I think the best character, at least the most interestingly portrayed character. And I also think the actor, whose name I don't know, so sorry. Aiden Gallagher. Thank you. Aiden Gallagher is fantastic. Um, I think he does a really, really great job. So this character, um, he goes back in time, or he goes, he goes forward in time. He's trying to uh, figure out his powers, um, ends up in a place where the apocalypse has happened, he's basically the last man alive, spends roughly 45 years wandering around um, trying to figure out how to get back. And when he finally does, he comes back in the 13-year-old body that he had when he left. So he's playing a 58-year-old man in a 13-year-old's body, and he I think he does a really great job. He's got this like sarcastic kind of humor he's very bitter (laughs) um very passionate about what he believes and in trying to like stop this apocalypse and everybody's just like i can't take you seriously like you look like a little kid um and he has character best storyline out of anyone yeah and he has the best sequence which is when he kills all those assassins in the donut shop like 
I was hoping for a little bit more action in this presumably super powered story. Um, and so I think um, there's just enough information about him and what he experienced to keep him interesting and to kind of keep his story moving forward um, without being too over the top um, or being too indulgent. My only issue with number five was that he continued to wear his academy suit. Oh, that was uh, like my favorite thing about it. Well, but the thing is, is that you know these assassins are coming and looking for you, so you're walking around with a target, basically, That and, you know, no other kid in this time period is dressed this way, so you're making yourself stand out, and very obvious, and you spent so much time in that department store, could you have not grabbed a t-shirt and a pair of jeans to help you conceal yourself That's a little bit That's very more? true. <laughs> that is a very good point. It's um, a good look, though. So. It is, and it, and it helped his character, and I did like it, but I just thought, logically, especially somebody who's been... Oh, don't been, do that here. Yeah, I know, but, you know, somebody who's been an assassin through all these time periods and having to lay low and, and dress the part didn't think to do that. Right. <laughs> Very true. Um, then we have number six, Ben. We already talked about him a little bit and his presence, which didn't always make a whole lot of sense. Again, an, uh, played by an Asian uh, actor, but wasn't really, didn't really ever get to a good point of knowing anything about him or what his significance was. I don't really remember how he died. You don't know. And yeah, that's no, one no. thing that's actually kind of important is that it's, well, there's this it, kind of cloud that hovers around this family over Ben died, but nobody talks about it which i like in the comic but here but he's not in the comic as a ghost and so for him to be there as a ghost but to not spend the time to talk about that was was weird for me well they only had 10 hours did i mention <laughs> so you gotta pick and choose yeah and then there is number seven vanya of course played by the amazing ellen page i think we all had a little bit of a crush on her. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, as an actor, she really delves into the pain and the trauma of this character. Um, I do really like that her aesthetic is still very androgynous and uh -huh. masculine, even though she plays a character that dates a man. Um, but again, I really don't think that her story has the right payoff. It never quite makes sense to me. Um, and so then I don't really ever feel like I'm on board with the denouement. Yeah, which is that she is the most powerful of all of them, that the whole family was complicit in manipulating her, and she's been miserable her whole life. They're always pushing her to the side. And at the end, she, uh, she kills everybody, and I couldn't be bothered about it. Yeah. And even the whole world, I was like, yeah, you know what? Just destroy just that over. world. We kind of need, we kind of yeah, need it anyway. And nobody in there is really, really worth it. No. Not that we've met, but yeah, I mean, you could, that idea about tropes too. In the first couple episodes, I was like, okay, she, there's something else going on here. Clearly she is that. So to see them being so abusive to her really started to bother me. It was like I get it; they're awful to her. But for for people to have to witness that, like like abusing microphones, it's really a bad idea. <laughs> but you know, to, to to keep seeing that, it starts to take a mental cost. I don't want to see that. I get it. Can we not? I mean, ten hours. Can we do something else now instead of just being mean to Vanya? So, you know. Yeah. Take and it out. didn't really make any sense as to why they were so mean to her. There was really no reason. And that Allison makes that one point when she's looking back at, um, what, I don't know, remember what she was looking back on. I don't know if it was videotapes and from you know their past because they were always recording in the home, um, and said you know why were we so mean to her? Why didn't we invite her to play? Like it just didn't. And as a teacher, elementary teacher, I understand that kids can be cruel. Um, so that in some ways made sense that way, but it just didn't make any sense to the extent of the cruelty. Especially because she was not a threat. You know, most of the time I think kids are mean to people that either are different or are threatening to them. Mm -hmm. But because Vanya presumably didn't have power um, and she wasn't, it wasn't like she was Dr. Hargreaves' favorite, 
there really was no reason. I could see the ignoring because that's what he right. did, but yeah. I just don't understand the cruelty that did really well, didn't make any sense. I think it was sense. an element of snobbery. Yeah. Because yeah. they know they're special. They're put apart. They're treated like celebrities wherever mm-hmm. they go. And that's how we first learn about Leonard Harold's backstories that he was disrespected by them in a similar way that Vanya kind of is too. So I think there's an element of that, that they thought they were better than her. Well, and also kids, you know, um, mimic the behavior of the adults around them. And because Dr. Hargreaves was so dismissive of her and wouldn't let her participate when they, you know, when they went off and did their saving of people, you know, she would always be like, why can't I go play with the others? And he's like, because you're not special. So, yeah, I think there's definitely things that, that are important to, to talk about. But, um, you know, she, at the end, kind of embraces this power, uses it to destroy the academy, um, and then starts taking it out on kind of the rest of the world because um, she's having this vengeance kind of journey. But And who wouldn't sympathize with that when she's walking to her concert yeah. and the car, you know, comes up in her in the street, move out of the way, bitch, and she flings it down the block. Man, if would I love do to that, do that? Right? Yeah. I had to leap on the hood of a car in New Jersey once. I would love that. I mean, who doesn't appreciate that? So I think we're supposed to find it distasteful. But why? What has the world ever given her? Who are these people that claim to be her family now all of a sudden they care about her? They lock her in an isolation cube because they're afraid of her instead of trying to understand her? Yeah. I mean, and to the point that Hargreaves understood her latent power and to save the world, he initiated this campaign of, you know, abuse, thereby ensuring the end of the world. Not a brilliant man. Right. In that way. You know, that actually makes me think about uh, Seance's vision when he dies um, and sees the little girl um, who's presumably God. Um, and and then he, he talks to... Dr. Hargreaves, I, I really didn't like that part of it when he had the conversation with Hargreaves because um, having Dr. Hargreaves say that he killed himself to bring everybody together gave, gave him way too much credit. I was like, I do not need any sort of humanity from this person. Like, he's terrible and I'm fine with that. Like, that's part of what this story is. And then to have him be so integral to the actual story and and to where they are at that point it just felt like it it wasn't necessary i felt like it gave him too much credit and i was like i would rather see these people come together for, for this tragedy of their father dying even though he was a jerk and then kind of growing from there and not having it be another manipulation by this man to prevent what I assume he knew was going to be the end of the world because presumably he knew that at some point Fania's power would be released. Yeah, I just, I don't understand how being awful to somebody would be a way to prevent them from ruining the world around them as an act of vengeance. Yeah, he just yeah. didn't, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, how it compares to the comic. SC, I know you have yet to read it. Um, I would highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I read the first two volumes before seeing the show. Um, what I really like about the comic, like I mentioned before, is we get these really small bits of information um, and we really start to understand the dynamic of the family through other stuff. So they come together for the funeral and then almost immediately a big disaster happens so they all have to go start taking care of that and in that you see the way that they talk to each other the way that they interact and the way that um these events kind of bring up these issues um but then again it, the show kind of feels so self-indulgent in that it doesn't give us those things to contrast with it's just like here is the trauma and this is what it looks like. These are the way these people are talking about it, but it never, there's no momentum 
where in the comic things are happening so quickly and you're learning about these things as you go. And there's lots of little things in the comic that I really missed in the in the show, like the, the mystery around Ben. You never know like how he dies. There's one line that um, Allison says to Luther, I know you blame yourself for what happened to Ben, mm-hmm. um, but it's not your fault. And that's like the only time they ever talk about it. How about um, number five? Is that mystery prolonged a little bit more? Um, it say? is. He does talk about it a little bit more um, in his experience, but um, he's also 10 years old. His body is 10 mm-hmm. in the comic. So it's a little bit different when you see him like <laughs> totally murdering everybody. <laughs> um, the comic is a lot more gruesome so i'm glad that it wasn't quite in the show um but the fact that there's like chimps like pogo in the rest of the world that that's just part of the world that they live in i I thought maybe that was like um uh, a hargreaves invention right and i didn't like that because then again pogo becomes this like weird servant and not just like uh in the comic he's dr pogo and so he's a, a colleague yeah. um and then you know the fact that seance can't use his powers when he has his shoes on like i love that in the uh-huh. comic it's just this like really weird little snippet of information that is lost in the show which they had 10 hours all you needed was like a second 10 hours um and so what i i really what i really like about the comic is that you just kind of get thrown into this world and you go along for the ride you may not understand why things are happening or um, how certain conventions are are used, but um, somehow I'm more invested in that, in that journey than in the show, which really drew everything out and focused on weird things or and didn't, didn't talk about all. other if things. If they had done even a little bit in 10 hours, a little bit about Pogo, I would have understood it more. The only thing I understood about Pogo is that he was on screen when they had enough money to animate? Like any time when there's he some had big to talk bing, about bang, something boom, really, yeah, important. or he had to, you know, reveal that he was a liar or that somebody had a secret, right? But never, you know, like, oh, do you want some tea? Or he's in the background. No, and then it became clear. It was like, well, it costs a lot of money to have Pogo around. So, like in the big battle, he's just like all of a sudden at the end, he's like, oh my god, it was like really. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I touching on Pogo. I felt that in the comic, I was so much more upset at his death than yes. I was in the TV series. It was still upsetting in the TV series, but in the book, it was a lot more. And the reason is because it had that one scene that I wish they would have put in the movie. Of um, they couldn't. They only had ten hours. Lee. Yeah, I know. Um, what so can they do? There's a thing. There's a snippet from um, Vanya's childhood with Pogo, where she's upset because she feels that she's not special and Pogo hugs her on the floor and says, you are special. And that, I feel like, made his death uh, so much more traumatic and sad because, you know, he tried really hard to have a relationship with her even though he knew, um, you know, that she was special and this was something that was secret and um, a betrayal in some ways. So, you know, I understand her anger a little bit more from that than I did as much in the in the series. But it was it was just sad because in the in the comic it just seems like they were closer yeah he was part of the family yeah a lot more i don't know what he was in this show he like a butler a secretary that's the weird thing he would show up and say i have to tell you this secret that i have been or i can't tell you this secret yeah so when he got antlered i was like you're a liar dude bye sorry yeah, where in the comic it was a little bit more sad because there wasn't much more of a relationship. He was kind of like the counterpart of Grace. Yeah. Um, so he was the father figure that they didn't have. <laughs> yeah. And then again in the comic, like Vanya's journey, she gets recruited by this group of supervillains, basically, who have this orchestra that are bent on destroying the world. And so... Why couldn't we see that? I'm getting angry now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to Hulk smash. Yeah, and then, you know, we get a lot more action sequences um, with five. Um, we don't get that whole thing with the commission and the handler, like the time commission, which I was also like, why are there so many white women with blonde hair in like 50s dresses? Like, why is that an aesthetic that is important right now in what's happening with the mom? grace and then with the handler but um again i I think that the whole hazel cha-cha 
handler commission thing was superfluous. I don't think it was necessary in the show um, because it's part of Five's backstory, but doesn't really have the same impact on the rest of the family as it does. Well, nothing anyone really seemed to do had any impact on the eventual outcome. Everything that they did ensured it would happen. And you could see that in hour four or hour five. So it became, there was no tension. Mm. It was, you know, what are they going to do now? But do I really feel like five is in danger? No, I don't. Not with that kid. He was great. They're not getting rid of him. Get rid of Pogo, though. He's too expensive. But the other stuff, no. So now, yeah, now I'm actively angry that whatever happened in this graphic novel didn't make it into the show. What was her boyfriend's name in the in the comic, or not in the in the series? Whose boyfriend? Uh, Vanya's boyfriend. Oh, I don't remember. Well, anyway, in the comic, he's not in the comic. No, um, so yeah. when she joins this orchestra, um, hmm? well, oh, that's Leonard. In the Thank show. you. His name is Leonard. Is that his name in the comic? He's not in the comic, is right. he? Right. He's not yeah. in the comic. That's so that's why, why I was trying confused. to mention okay. is that he's not <laughs> in the comic, and so that role goes to the maestro, who is the um, right. leader of this, you know, evil orchestra, and they want to play a certain chord or something that's going to make the apocalypse happen yeah. and so well they played the brown the note instead yeah if you know, know what the brown note is read that he's the leonard character in some way so he's the one that pushes her to become who she is and all of her you know gifts and everything like that and so she becomes the villain so to speak due to him prompting her yeah um, and it seemed a little bit more fun um and less traumatic because uh, yeah, it seemed like they- it was more her choice well, they, they definitely force her to kind of become the white violin. Um, they cook her up to all these things and, you know, have these resonances and these frequencies that kind of create her power. And then as soon as she becomes the white violin, she immediately murders him. Yeah. And so I, I do kind of like that, Whoops. too, that she's like, well, you made me what I am and I'm going to murder you because I'm the leader now. Um, I did. I also didn't like... Um, Vanya's aesthetic as the white violin I was like she's all Marilyn Manson now and like nobody noticed Mm -hmm. like she just shows up to her orchestra concert with those like weird eyes and very pale skin and everybody's just like okay you know I guess the idea that oh no one really paid too much attention to her before but yeah but now she's first chair and like when she's like rounded shoulder kind of meek and then she's like all you know Linda Blair exorcist eyes staring I probably would notice. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I was also like, why is everybody still wearing their bowling shoes? Like at the very end, (laughs) it felt like it was supposed to be important because every single person was. And then that detail you keep in, but he couldn't grab jeans and a (laughs) t-shirt at the department store. He spent so much time at. (laughs) Right. Um, so does, is there anything else as far as the design or the special effects that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? I need to talk about the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. That was probably the number one thing that absolutely infuriated me. And especially when they played uh, exit music for a film by Radiohead at the end of one episode. That made me really angry. The reason is, is because I feel like the soundtrack was so in your face that it was a heuristic. It was doing your thinking for you. Mm. In film, they have the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic sound. So diegetic sound is, you know, if you hear me like tapping on this, the sounds that people make while they're walking, they're speaking, they're moving, that's diegetic sound. Non-diegetic sound typically is a soundtrack, something that's superimposed on it that the characters can't hear. But in this case, it was a character. And it was telegraphing to you, especially that you're supposed to find this funny or you're supposed to be really upset with this. And it was so overbearing that I found it manipulative in that way. And I was, it was really, really annoying in the way that I think Suicide Squad was guilty of that too. Some of the film that let their soundtracks do the talking for them because they can't construct a scene without making it winking at you. I don't need to be winked at. Just tell me the story. So that was really, that made me very angry. It was also forgettable. I mean, the only two songs I recall are um, 
Don't Stop Me Now because I love Queen. So I was just like, oh, it's a Queen song. I'll just be like singing along to it um, while Hazel and Cha-Cha are shooting up the department store. And then um, the Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows scene because I also like um, Leslie Gore. Is that her name? Um, I like her stuff. And so I was like, oh, it's a Leslie Gore song. Um, But the rest of it, I cannot The Doors song when it was the Vietnam montage there was that in the shootout in the bowling alley, a bad guy bumps into a DJ stand and immediately Saturday night comes on. I muted the TV at that point because it was clearly just trying to be funny and cute. It's it's too much. It's way too much. And I feel like it was unearned. And by the tone that you guys are describing from this, it's totally inconsistent with the tone of this story. Mm-hmm. You don't need an overbearing soundtrack to telegraph the emotional cues. Or to be funny. It's perfectly capable of doing it itself. They could have spent less money on the copyright for that and put more money into Pogo. <laughs> I mean, he or could have sang a song. Or Luther's bodysuit. Something. <laughs> but so that, that, was, that was really troubling to me. And the, the hyper-colorization looked a lot like Preacher. Mm-hmm. Some and of those Legion. shows. And Legion. The, in a way that made me think it was not trying to be its own thing or to be true to what you've described the graphic novel is and just make it look like other things are looking on tv right now and that's that's really disappointing yeah i really like the aesthetic of the comic it feels very 90s it was i think the first one was released in early 2000s um so there's just a very unique um style to the comic um that i just don't think translated Uh, into the show so yeah I think in general if I might have liked it more if I didn't have the expectation uh, or the history of the comic but I know SC your reaction was you didn't like it particularly and you didn't read the comic Um, but I also think that if I wasn't going to do this podcast I would have stopped watching I think after the second or third episode um where for me the first few things that I wrote down was that it felt very self-indulgent and very Mm -hmm. slow and um, couldn't connect to anything um, and not having uh, a really good theme. Again, I think they took the concept of the comic without really knowing what it was about. Um, Then uh, I, I think I would have stopped watching. Yeah. I would have done. Well, I only finished watching it about an hour and 20 minutes before we started recording. <laughs> I don't, yeah, the payoff wasn't there. I did, I'm not angry that I watched it. I'm so, I'm angry because I think it could have been really special. And when you get people like Ellen Page to get on your, I mean, you're, you're got a big gun there. And for you to make it look like everything else, it's, it's, it's a disappointment. 10 hours. There's a lot of room for you to do something unique. And they didn't do it. Samantha B. described Suicide Squad as um, pouring a monster energy drink on a canister of film. And I think that this kind of is the same. <laughs> but the canister holds a soap opera, I think. A 10-hour one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's definitely... Suicide Squad is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. So I don't want anything to... To, I don't want people to come away with the impression that I think it's as bad as Suicide Squad, but I think it definitely suffers from the same, some Elements. of the same things that, yeah. that Suicide Squad did. And um, yeah, I, I really wanted it to be so much more. Um, I really liked number five. I really mm-hmm. wanted to like Klaus more than I did. Um, I think if it wasn't based on a comic um, that I had experience with, I think it could have been better like if it was something totally unique because the story is very special in that way um or if it was closer to the comic and the source material i think i would have been a little bit more into it but um as it is i unfortunately can't really recommend it i it, there's a lot worse things to watch yes there really are um, just turn on any TV channel at any time. But just know that maybe the payoff and the innovativeness that you're looking for is not going to be there. And if you don't like the things that we've expressed, then just be ready. I, I probably will watch season two, but it's going to be a hate watch. It's going to be like, be there, and I'm going to be ripping on it the whole time. Just watch Royal Tenenbaums. It's eight hours less. 
I want no. I like the explosions too. There weren't enough of those in Wes Anderson movies. I would say my 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 closing thought: a symphony of stolen notes, all strangely flat. Nice, well said. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, We hope that you enjoyed hearing our opinions, and um, we would love to hear yours as well. Uh, I'm Becca. I'm Lee. I'm Esty. And this has been The Feminerd Files. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or Spotify. We also uh, upload to YouTube. And you can find all of our content, um, all of our different genres of podcasts on thefeminerdfiles.net. Because I'm having a good time, having a good time. The shooting star leaping through the sky.